We've been on a journey with the Apostle Paul for many weeks now that Paul has journeyed from Jerusalem and making his final missionary journey to his final destination on this earth, and that is Rome, where he is going to testify and proclaim before rulers and soldiers and anyone he comes in contact with with regards to the uh, truth and the veracity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But he's en route right now. In fact, in our passage today, we're going to see the final leg of that journey where he moves from the island of Malta uh, to the city of Rome, the capital city of the Roman Empire, where he would inevitably uh, be uh, martyred for his faith as he stands true to the gospel and the claims of Christ. And we have learned something as we get into our text this morning that I don't want you to forget, and that is the faithfulness of God. We sang this morning that our God will not forsake us. Not for a moment will he depart from our path. Not for a moment will he leave us on our own. Not for a moment will he say, on this leg of the journey, you're going to have to figure it out yourself. But that we have, just as Paul did, a faithful God. You see, Jesus had come to Paul's prison cell in Jerusalem in Acts 23, verse 11, and he said, you are going to make it to Rome. And you are going to testify before those in Rome about who I am. And so Paul could have confidence that God's faithfulness would be seen each and every step of the way. We can take courage in that, my friends. That no matter what we find ourselves struggling with, no matter the turmoil or the difficulty that our path has us on, We can take solace in the fact that the God who loves us, the God who is with us, the God who has promised things to us is a God like he was with Paul, utterly faithful to see us to the end. And he saw Paul to Rome just as he promised. And he will see you and I to the finish line. And so this morning, we are going to come to the last leg of the journey. If you haven't yet, turn in your Bibles to Acts 28 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, grab that pew rack Bible and the pew rack in front of you, and you can find our passage on page 937. And for our reading, I'll read all the text throughout the message, but for uh, this first part of the reading, before I ask for God's blessing on our time, I'm going to read the beginning of the passage, and I'm going to read the very end, and you're going to hear me say dot dot, dot in the middle. We'll get to the dots, but we're going to leave a little tension there for the opening part of the message. So let's look at Acts 28, verses 1 and 16, and we'll ask for God's blessing on our time. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. And then in verse 16, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. Malta, dot, 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 Rome. You and I are living amidst the dots. And how we respond to the dots, if you will, of life will determine whether or not we enjoy the journey along the way. If we experience the fullness of what God has for us in this journey. So let's ask for a blessing on our time in the Word. Father God, I just ask now that you would go before me. I pray for the hearing of your Word, Lord, the reading of it. 
I pray for those that now are going to listen, and I ask that you would give them open ears to hear. Lord, open all of our hearts to be receptive to what you have to share with us this morning. Some incredibly practical truths from your word that can help us along life's way. I pray, Lord, that we would not just simply be hearers of the word, but we would leave this place doing what your word says. And in doing so, Lord, I pray that we might experience great blessing, that we might experience great encouragement, that we might experience great equipping for our journey ahead. We love you and give you praise for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Well, during one of my study sessions this week, Amanda stopped by and, and said, hey, I, I've got some errands to run. Do you want to go grab some lunch? And, and I said, sure, let's, let's go do that. And we were having lunch, and it was just her and I and enjoying a, a quick lunch together. And she was talking, and I was distracted. No surprise, right? And as she was talking, she, she could tell my mind wasn't uh, where she was at. And I was looking just beyond her to a picture behind her. And the picture said the following on the screen. It, it was something very similar to this. It said, life is a beautiful ride. And of course, the person who designed the picture no doubt loves bike riding. And that's not something I do a lot of, even though you can't tell from my physique. But... But I was sitting there, and as she's kind of talking, and you know, talking about important stuff, I'm sure, but I missed it, my mind went back to my study time in our passage. And I began to ask the question, as this is staring me in the face, I said, I wonder if Paul, when he got to Malta, would say, life is a beautiful ride. Now let's be honest about where Paul has been in his journey. It hasn't been a beautiful ride at all. It's been downright ugly. Paul has found himself amidst some real difficulties. When he came to Jerusalem, he's thinking there's going to be a great response. He's falsely accused. That false accusation leads to a mob action where he is rushed and, and trampled upon. It is there that he is then wrongfully imprisoned. He is painfully mocked and scorned time after time along this journey. He's then put on a boat heading to Rome where he nearly dies and finds himself now shipwrecked. And now we're going to see in the text, to add salt to the wound, he's bit by a snake. I can't imagine that in all of Paul's humanity that he would say life is a beautiful Right. And yet, when he gets to Rome, it says he thanks God in verse 16 and has great courage for the journey that's ahead of him. Now, how is it that he could live such a, such a stinky life? Such a life full of tribulation and troubles and hardships. And he gets to what is his destination and say, that was great. I've got courage. And I thank God for what he's allowed me to experience and be a part of. How is it that we, in our hardships and our struggles, can be able to look at those and in full honesty say, yeah, life hasn't been easy, life has been difficult, but life with God... And life on purpose with God is a beautiful thing. Let's be honest. 
Quite frankly, at times, life sucks. And you can get mad at my vernacular, that's okay, but let's be honest. That's what our heart cries out. And I gotta wonder if Paul was thinking that from time to time. Luke never says that, but he was a human. And the hours and the days that he found himself floating in waves tossed to and fro, he had to wonder, this isn't as beautiful as the ride as I thought it would be. This week I was talking with a man that I respect greatly from our congregation, and he, he, he answered in the response to my question, how are things going with, life stinks. Family life isn't real good right now. My wife and I were struggling. We're wondering, did we do things right? Did we do things wrong? We, we didn't see this coming. We didn't see this happening. Uh, this wasn't how it was supposed to be. And, and I got to be honest with you, my, I was uh, encouraged, number one, by the transparency. We need to be a church that at times, when asked the question, how's life going? We need to say the right isn't very beautiful right now. A lot of potholes, a lot of curves along the way. And so I was... I was uh, enheartened, if you will, by the idea that someone I respect would be able to have the temerity to say, it's not real good right now. So how does Paul find thanksgiving? How does Paul find encouragement? Well, in our passage, we are going to learn four things that I believe take the most difficult of circumstances, the most difficult of situations, and makes our journey something that's beautiful. So let's look at them each one at a time. Number one, I want you to recognize if we want in the difficult times, in the hard times, when our lives are filled with potholes and struggles, whether mental issues or physical issues or, or emotional issues or financial issues, whatever the issues that befall us, as believers, we need to be able to stay because our God is with us, because he will never leave us or forsake us, that life with him, no matter the circumstances, is a beautiful ride. And if you as a follower of Christ cannot say that, it is not because God hasn't given you the beauty to see. It is because our attention, our focus, our gaze is upon our circumstances, not on Christ. And so how do we get there? God has gifted us with some wonderful gifts and he gifted Paul the ability and the opportunity to see how beautiful walking and living with our God day in and day out can truly be. So how do we get there? Number one, we depend. We depend on God every step of the way. We depend on God every step of the way. Acts 23, 11 says that Jesus stood by Paul in the prison cell in Jerusalem and he said, Paul, you're going to make your way to Rome. You're going to get to Rome. And Paul had that promise. That promise that his destination had been set. God in the person of Christ Jesus gave Paul his boarding pass on the next trip to Rome. And he would have full confidence that no matter the delays, no matter the obstacles, no matter the difficulties, that he would make it to Rome. 
And our text says he does. That is a great promise for us as children of the Most High God, who Jesus Christ, by his finished work on the cross, and by his resurrection from the grave, has told each and every one of us who have believed upon his name that we have a destination called heaven. Jesus said in his last words to his apostles, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come back and take you to be with me forever. That is the destination. That is our hope. But like Paul, I wonder if some of us this morning find ourselves saying, is it really going to happen? There's a lot of delays. Am I ever going to get there? And there's a couple reasons why I think that's the case. Number one, we need dependence on God to know that that destination is on the horizon because life is full of drama. Life is full of drama, amen? I mean, listen, there is so much waiting for you this week full of drama. You don't even know it. I don't even know it. We may have the most wonderful weekend, and little do we know, on some random Tuesday, what's going to hit us this week. The struggle, the hardship, the pain, the suffering. Whether it's at work, or it's in our families, we have no idea. The Bible says that Jesus told his disciples, no man knows what a day might bring. Now we can live in fear of that. And we can hold ourselves up and, and try to protect ourselves in our finiteness to keep that from happening, which is really nonsense, if you really think about it. Or we can trust that whatever happens this Tuesday that rocks our world, that God is with us. Paul knew, I'm going to Rome. And the one who said it is faithful to see it to completion. And I want you to notice that amidst all of the potholes along the way, amidst all the curves and all of the struggles, Paul never diverted nor manipulated his way out of the plans and purposes of God. Which is a reminder for us to depend on God, not to depend on ourselves. To depend on his wisdom, his ways, his thoughts, not our own. To follow his word, not our own thinking. To lean on him, not our own understanding. Even, even when life throws you curves. We have no idea what's coming. And Paul woke up each and every day having no idea what the next day of the journey was going to bring. But he knew, God said, I will get to Rome, and to Rome I will get. God has said, heaven is waiting for us. But the problem is, is that we think our destination seems worlds away. Our destination seems worlds away. This last spring break, uh, our family went on a 2,700 mile road trip. A big U down to Texas and, and back up, visited lots of cities and all of that. Great time. We brought the three boys back that we started with, which is a great, great thing. 
And an hour into the journey, and some of you parents are just going to be like, been there, done that. An hour into the journey, now listen, we made sure that this journey would be a pleasant journey, that our ride would be a beautiful ride. Each of our kids had all the batteries, all of the audio hookups, uh, DVDs, uh, uh, tablets, uh, games, and, and everything. Listen, I told them, everything you have, you'll never have to look out the window for a single thing. Okay? We had just gotten into Iowa, Iowa, an hour into the stinking trip. And my 10-year-old says, Dad, we're almost there, right? We're going to San Antonio, Texas. Yes, son, we're real close. I said, son, we've got a whole day of driving. And he said, we're never going to get there. There's great theology in what my son said. Because here's the thing. We hear preachers and Bible teachers say, heaven is awaiting us. And we go through our journey and we, we, we busy ourselves with a handful of things and when we're done or something takes our attention off of what is busying our lives, we ask the question, well, are we close? And then we read a scripture that says a day to the Lord is like a thousand years. And we're like, are we there yet? We've got to be. And it seems like God is wasting our time because heaven seems so far away. Well, yeah, it's worlds away. And yet, the way that we further in ourselves in this journey is by taking it one step at a time. And so what we do and what Paul did was he broke up this trip, not by his own plans, but each and every day saying, God, wherever you have me today is one day closer to Rome. Now, wait a minute. At some point, it seems like he's doing circles. But Paul recognized, if I am in the hands of God, then God is moving me, no matter how slowly I think it may be, one step, one day closer to God's destination. Listen, Christian, you are one day closer, one step closer to heaven than you were yesterday. And you'll be there tomorrow. And what God is calling you to is to depend on Him. Is to give your, your details of your life and, and the dreams and the plans and the disappointments to Him one at a time, laying them at His feet and saying, God, whatever you give me today, the good, the bad, and the ugly of life, I will depend on you. I will get my uh, power from you, my strength from you, my encouragement from you, and I will glorify you because apart from you, I would be sunk on this trip. We've got to depend on God. And Paul does. So he has had to depend greatly on God. I'm thankful for John Culver leading us through uh, Acts 27 a couple weeks ago and the great turbulence, the great storm that comes. Storms cause us to depend on God. And, 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 and Paul has had to depend on God. And, and God has been faithful. And Paul and the more than 270 others on the ship that has been shipwrecked find themselves on the island of Malta. Let's pick up verse 1. You say, wow, that was a forever introduction. You're right. And so we get to Malta. 
And notice what it says in verse 1. And, and after we were brought safely through this incredible storm, we learned that the island was called Malta. They had no idea where they were. Some of you right now, because of your circumstances, have no idea where you're at because life has been turned upside down. And so they learn, we're not lost, we're in Malta. Here's the thing, you may feel completely lost this morning, but God knows where you are. He knows where you are. And when they get to Malta, it says the native people or the barbarians showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out as if he needed anything more, right? A viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, though he escaped from the sea. Justice, look at the capital J there, it's the name of a god, has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and, or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Wow. So he comes off of the, of the water, probably beleaguered, tired, exhausted. Probably many of them thanking some god or someone for saving their lives. And they fall onto this island of Malta, people they had never met before, a native language they had probably never heard from. And... These people are kind to them. And they start a fire because it's raining and they're cold and no doubt probably giving them some level of food or sustenance. And we see some things that we could talk about. A lot of ways we could go with this text. We could talk about the care of strangers, which is important. We could talk about the Malta people taking care of the needs of those around them. We could talk about Paul's willingness to gather sticks, doing a menial task, even though he was the great apostle Paul. We could talk about... In great spiritual terms, the serpent biting Paul or the superstitious way that the people responded. But I want to look at it very, very practically this morning under the heading, let God, not others, define who you are. You see, as we're on this journey, we're not on this journey by ourselves. We're on a journey where people are watching us walk this journey. And, and they're going to size us up. You see, the moment that Paul walked onto the beach, the people of Malta were sizing him up because that's what we do by human experience. And so this morning you came in and you were sizing people up. Especially if this is a newer place for you. If this place is unknown to you. You sized it up. Because that's what we do. We look at people and the way they conduct themselves. We look at people, how they dress. We look at what they drive. We look at where they live. We ask them and size them up based on their job. And, and, and our opinion of them fluctuates based on all of these external things that in the end of the day really mean nothing. And so that's what they're doing with Paul. Who is this guy? What do we need to know about him? So as he's gathering sticks and putting sticks on a fire, the heat of the fire uh, wakens this viper. And the viper grabs a hold of Paul by the hand. And right away the people come and they say, bad news, 
Because bad things don't happen to good people. Only bad things happen to bad people. So bad thing happened to him. He must be a bad person. And so they define him as a bad person. But I want you to notice something. At the end of verse 6, it says they changed their minds. Because he doesn't die. And they say he's not a murderer. He's a god. I want you to know this morning that people have their opinions about you. And based on their thinking, not your own, unless you have somehow espoused or caused it to happen, the spectrum that people will have of you is either you are a murderer, good for death alone, or you're a god. That's the spectrum. And I want you to notice that you and I are tempted to live in bondage to the court of public opinion. We are deeply concerned about what people think of us. In fact, far too often we are more concerned with the thoughts of others with regards to our lives than the thoughts of God about us. And so we go on and we say, well, who liked my Facebook post or who retweeted my tweet or, 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 or did I sit at the popular kid table or was I invited to that party or are my kids uh, those that are well-liked in their uh, circle of, of classmates? And we begin to put ourselves on this, what do people think of me? And it's altogether bad when we live and consume ourselves with such thinking. It's even worse when we begin to believe that what people say about us is true. So what is Paul? Paul comes on the island. And Paul's a human being. Let's remember, Paul's standing before people. He gets bit by a snake. Now, if someone saw uh, me get bit by a snake right here, okay, I hope your first thought wouldn't be, huh? You're a bad person. I'm not getting close to you. Think of the rejection Paul must have felt in his time of pain that people pointed to him and said, you're a bad dude, I'm staying away. But that's what we do, right? We come to conclusions. Well, this happened and that happened, so A plus B always equals C. And they say he's a murderer. And then he doesn't swell up and die. So they sit there for a couple hours. No doubt he's isolated, right? Don't get near a snake bite guy. He's bad news. Justice is coming after him. And so they, they have him sitting probably by himself. Probably not tending to his needs, tending to his wound. But he doesn't die. And they say, wait a minute. We were wrong. He's a god. There's some awesome truth to this my friends. Notice three things as to why we need to be careful to let God define us and not others. Number one, people are incredibly fickle. People are incredibly fickle. I don't need to spend a lot of time here, but they went from he's a murderer to a God in a matter of a couple hours. Talk about whiplash. Have you ever gone from being the greatest thing in the world to the worst thing in the world? Nothing's changed, but They liked you one minute, now they hate you. 
I have a sales rep that works with me in my catering business, and he learned this week that he, he got fired. And he said, it wasn't too long ago they were saying I was the best salesman around. What happened? People are fickle. Things change. Opinions change. And I want you to notice the absolute idiocy of the fickleness of us when defining each other. Notice the phrase in the text that it says when he's bit by the serpent, notice what it says, no doubt, no doubt this man is a murderer. Hands down, ironclad murderer. Oh, he didn't swell up and die. We were wrong. We talk as if there's no doubt to our presumptions upon people and little do we know we have no idea what we're pronouncing. Number two, never forget the reason why we don't let people do the defining of who we are is most people's presumptions are false. So let me ask you this, the first service did a terrible job with this, so tell me you're a better service than them not to create disunity in the church. But I'm going to ask you two questions, and I'm looking for a yes or no answer, all right? So let's start with the second question. Was Paul a god, yes or no? No. Was Paul a murderer? No. No. No, 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 he wasn't, okay? He wasn't. Not in the way he, he did some things that allowed for death to happen, but he wasn't a murderer. He never would have been, a, been uh, charged for murder. And the people got that wrong. On two counts, they got both counts wrong. And I want you to know most of the time when people make presumptions about you, especially those who have recently gotten to know you, that their impressions of you are usually wrong. Listen, if I was to tell you all the things I was told as a high school kid, you'd be blown away. I was told from both Christians and non-Christians alike, don't make many plans, you're not all that good for anything. Listen, I gave them some reasons to believe that. Because like dumb teenagers, I did dumb things. And I had people define me and say, I don't think you're going to be much. Well, they're wrong. They're wrong. And maybe you've been told as a young kid, maybe you've been told as a wife or as a husband or as an employee, you're good for nothing. You've been told things, they're lies. Because God's definition of you is you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God's word for you is that he's got great plans for you. He's got great purposes for you. That you are his workmanship created in Christ to do not bad works, not mediocre works, but good works unto our God in heaven. And so Paul wasn't a murderer. And Paul needed to understand and believe that that, that wasn't true. Nor was he a God. That wasn't true. Paul needed to understand, I'm a servant of the Most High God. I serve God. I live, listen to me, this will free you when you are wondering about your popularity. I serve a, constitu a constituency of one. God. The only one I care about, who I want to define me, is God. Don't let people put presumptions upon you that aren't true. Why? Because it will lead to one of two things. It will either lead to failure or pride. It'll lead to failure or pride. 
So Paul is called a murderer. And maybe you've been called today some pretty nasty things. And you hear something enough, you start believing it. Well, I am really no good for anything. Or I'm never going to make anything of my life. Or I really am as ugly as people say, or, or unloving as, or unlovable as people say I am. There must be something wrong with me. Well, when you live by their definitions, you will be a failure. But the other is true as well, because Paul didn't just not believe them when he was called a murderer. He didn't believe them when they called him a god. And some of you right now are at a workplace where they're saying, you're the best thing in the world. And you're starting to buy that press. We don't know where we'd be without you. There are a lot of pastors who think that they're the greatest thing that the world ever did. And little do they know it's by the sheer grace of God that the church is growing as it is. We are not gods. And we are probably not the ugly things people call us. We are somewhere in between. And what we need to do is make sure that God is doing the defining. And that God's speaking through the right people to help define those things for us according to his word, not their capricious thoughts or desires. Now notice, Paul doesn't give any time to this. Paul doesn't dedicate himself thinking, am I a murderer? Am I God? I could really milk this for something. He doesn't do that at all. Paul doesn't sit there and dream up what it's like to be a God. My, I had a friend who spoke at the Promise Keepers Rally in Detroit at uh, around the year 2000. And it was the largest crowd he had ever preached in front of. And he preached his heart out. And he was getting on the plane to travel back to Chicago. And he was all excited. And his friend called him and he said, uh, you're on the front page of the Detroit Free Press. And right when he said that, he says, well, what did it say? And back in the day, if you remember cell phones, can I hear you? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Nothing there. And so the plane ride home, he's thinking, this is the greatest thing in the world. I'm the next big thing. I'm on the front cover of a major newspaper talking about my message. And he's building this up, building this up. And it's awesome. And he gets home and his friend had caught a later flight and brought the newspaper back with him. And on the front cover, full color uh, headline, he's sitting there preaching his heart out. And it says, Promise Keepers doesn't bring in the numbers in Detroit. Ooh. Here he is. He's the preacher. And it, Promise Keepers doesn't bring in the numbers. You see, we can read the headlines. And when we do, we will fluctuate up and down, up and down. But God says, I want you to know who I say you are, and I want you to live in light of that. And here's the reason why. It will make the journey a whole lot more beautiful. It'll make it a whole lot easier. But I will tell you, it will then allow you to do something very different than you would do in the first place. Notice verse 7. Now in the neighborhood, they had just said he was a god. And Luke says, we're not even going there. We're not even going to talk about it. There's no response from Paul with regards to it. What are they focusing on? Now in the neighborhood of that place where, where lands belonging to the chief man of the island. A guy by the name of Publius. I love that name, Publius. Okay? Who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. 
It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Listen to me very, very carefully. This is of critical importance. If you are so focused in on your personal status or personal persona, you will never, ever see the needs of others. Does that make sense? You sit there and and I will tell you, we think... Well, God, you're not opening up opportunities for me. I want to serve people. I want to love people. I want to share the love of Christ with people, the gospel with people. And I don't get the opportunities Paul did. Well, could it be, my friends, that we are more focused in on building our personal persona than serving the needs of others? And we don't have time for that. We don't have eyes for that. We don't have opportunities to even think about that because we're too busy worrying about what others think about us. So notice, Paul moves quickly from this defining by people so that he can dedicate himself to the service of others. You see, life is beautiful. When we take our eyes off of ourselves and we dedicate ourselves to the needs and the hurts and the struggles of others. Now, it's hard. It's hard when you got a viper hanging by your hand to worry about someone else. It's hard to worry about others when you've got your own things to worry about. But God says, listen, as you are comforted in your time of need, then go and comfort others. And so Paul does that. Paul finds himself shipwrecked. Paul finds himself on this difficult journey. And what does Paul do? He doesn't sit and moan and groan about how bad his life is. He goes and he opens his eyes to the needs around him. And he has this man, Publius' dad. He lay sick. It says with fever and dysentery. Listen, he's not crippled. He's not blind. He's not deaf and the big ones that Jesus had healed and Peter and John had healed or Paul had healed earlier. Listen, the guy's got a fever and some diarrhea. I'm not trying to be funny, but let's be honest, it's pretty common. But he's struggling. And we've all been there. We've all struggled. It ain't fun. And yet we, we have Imodium and we've got Pepto and all those things that can help alleviate some of that. This guy's hurting something fierce. And Paul didn't say he was beyond it, above it. Paul didn't say, that's gross, I want nothing to do with that. No doubt there's probably some level of contagion to it. Paul doesn't say, listen, I I don't want to catch anything. I've just gone through my own little uh, castaway experience, so I'm going to stay away. No, notice what Paul says. Paul visited him. That means he got close. Notice he gets closer. He prays from, not from afar, but close By putting hands on him, he healed them. He healed them. And it says then as a result, when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases, they came and were cured. Paul had lots to worry about. Paul was on his own journey. Paul had a lot that he had to be concerned about. Paul seemingly was wondering, God, when are you going to get to me? And it just seems like this is going on for way too long. And yet Paul takes his eyes off of himself and he puts his eyes onto others. Where did Paul learn that? He learned it from Jesus. And lifting his head 
and eyes, he saw the crowd, it says, of Jesus. And they were a harassed crowd. And they were a herding crowd. They were sheep without a shepherd. And it says of Jesus, he was filled with compassion. I can't say it enough, brothers and sisters of Village Bible Church. If our focus is only on our lives, we will never live out the great commandment and the great commission of Christ. We have to lift our eyes. We have to lift our heads and see the world around us. We have to stop focusing in on our own issues, our own struggles, and recognize God has promised my journey will be taken care of. And so that gives me the great luxury of not worrying about my life, whether what I will eat or drink or where I will live or where I will go. My destination is set, and it gives me the great luxury to lift my head and see the needs and meet the needs of those around me. So how do we do it? Serving others involves three things. I'm not going to belabor this, but number one, sensibility. You've got to sense it. So let me ask you, how are your senses? Are you too busy or caught up in your own life that you're unwilling to enter into the lives of others? Sympathy and empathy is the process of putting ourselves into the skin of others. Paul doesn't say, well, sure, sounds bad, Publius, that your dad's sick. He says, no, let me go see him. Let me put myself in his situation. And again, I don't want to get too graphic, but with dysentery comes incredible stomach cramps. And so Publius' dad is probably sitting there screaming, agonizing. It is not a pretty sight. And Paul says, I want to enter into that. That's the love of Christ. Entering into people's hurts. Now you say, well, I would do that for my kid. I do that for my family member. He's doing this to a guy's dad that he just met. Are we willing to show that kind of love to strangers? Now here's what we do. We spiritualize this and we say, well, what he really needs is not a healing of dysentery. He needs the gospel. But nowhere does it say in our text that the gospel was preached. Oh, we see it a ton in the book of Acts, which tells us that our M.O. should always be to be ready in season and out of season to preach and teach the word of God, including the gospel of Jesus Christ. But listen, there are times where, where a preaching a message isn't what's needed, but some care and love. And he ministers to them. And we don't know, did he come to Christ? There's no mention of any conversions in the text. But he was willing to do it. Notice number two, he was available to do it. Availability. Paul had much to deal with, much to worry about. But he made time to heal these people. Not just one, but many people. Listen, he didn't know where he was going, what he was going to do. He didn't know how he was going to get off the island. Remember, he had just gone to the island and learned that it was Malta. So he's got a lot of things up in the air. And so he's wondering, what am I going to do? And he made himself available to others. And we need to as well. Are we so busy? Are our lives so full of things we've got to get done that we pass by in the grocery aisle, we pass by in, in the workplace or in the school or in our community uh, uh, to stop and to ask the question, how are you doing? And when they say, I'm not doing real well, well, what can I do to help you? How can I serve you? How can I show you the love of Christ? 
We have to be available. But notice that this sensibility and availability, you know, Paul could have said, well, what about me? What about my needs? What about, I've got concerns, I've got issues. I want you to see something that we see throughout the scripture. And that is the principle of reciprocity. That is reciprocal care. In verse 10, they honored us greatly. That's awesome. Oh, how I want our people to be honored for good things that they've done. I love it when I hear that you've been honored at your workplace or in your school or in your community for the good you've done. Don't ever let it define you. Point it to Christ. Give God the glory. But that's an awesome thing because you're at work. You're doing something great. And people are seeing you fill needs. They honored Paul. Man, Paul, man, this is great. We, man, had you not been here, we would have really been in trouble. But you came and you filled the need. And what happened? God took care of the needs of Paul. You see, when we are more concerned about others, God says, you seek my kingdom first, and all the things you worry about, and all the things you're concerned about, and all the details that you're wondering about, shall be added unto you. Notice, a boat is brought to them, and everything they need, whatever they needed, they were provided. Publius and the guys come and say hey you've ministered to us we can't offer you much but we can get you to the next leg of your journey so here are all the supplies you need as you embark on the last leg to Rome do you find yourself in the service of others God wants us there now I want to finish with and this will be very short verses 11 through 16 and after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puteoli. That's like the greatest Italian name in the Bible, Puteoli. Okay? There we found brothers. Underline that. Brothers. And we were invited to stay with them for seven days. So we came to Rome. And so we came to Rome. And there the brothers, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. He gets to his destination. And I want you to know the final thing is we depend on God. As we let God define who we are, as we dedicate ourselves to the life of service, God graces us with something that we don't think about ever, and yet it's necessary when we are in the potholes of the journey of this life, and that is friendships. Because God gifted Paul deep friendships that allowed him to experience great joy. Paul makes it to Rome, and throughout this whole journey, there have been a lot of inconsistencies. Along the journey, there have been a lot of variables. Along the journey, there's been a lot of curveballs thrown his way. But there's been two consistencies. The faithfulness of God and the friendship of human beings around him. And Paul, I'm sorry, Luke talks about this. Luke says, Aristarchus and myself, we went with Paul. We were his close companions. 
The centurion becomes a friend of Paul's. Publius becomes a friend of Paul's. And when Paul gets to the uh, city of Rome, there are brothers, close friends who are there to care for them, to minister to them, to encourage them, and to serve them. And I want you to know something about friendships that I take far too much for granted. And that is number one. Write these down and we'll close. Friends are essential to the journey. Friends are essential to the journey. I'm talking to the introvert right now. And I'm talking to the one who says, I don't need people. Yeah, you do. God said it in the beginning. It is not good for man to live alone. And we put that as a marriage thing. It's not a marriage thing. Man was not created in isolation. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Community. If God desires and wants community in His presence as the Godhead, surely we need that as finite individuals. We need friends. And we live in this world more connected than ever before, but with the least amount of friends that we've ever had. So if you ever hear yourself saying, I don't need people, that's a lie from the pit. You need people. You need people you can trust. You need people who can love on you. You need people who can accept you. You need people who can pick you up when you get knocked down. Paul would no doubt have not made it if it weren't for the grace of God and the friendship of others. And you and I won't make it either. And I'll tell you, listen, the ride won't be as fun without friends. They're essential to our journey. Number two, they should cause us to express our thanks. When was the last time you thanked God for your friends? When was the last time you thanked God for what he has allowed people around you to do? We're coming on the fourth anniversary of Amanda's cancer diagnosis and surgery and all that. And that was a dark season. I can't imagine doing it without friends. The love of people coming around, dropping things at a moment's notice to come and care for us. And it begs the question, am I doing that? It begs the question, who is thanking God because of me? God, I'm thankful that so-and-so is in my life. Are there people in your life that are praying that? Thank you, God, for bringing you into their lives. Number three, they're God's gift to encourage us. It says that he thanked God and he was given courage. Who can you this day give a call to? Who can you reach out to? Who can you give courage to amidst the storm? Paul's friends in Rome encouraged him. And we are called to encourage one another. And so who can we put courage into this week? Or who can we turn to when we all courage is gone? You see, God has given us a journey. And God has said the journey won't be easy. In this world, you will have trouble. Alright? And some of you are feeling it right now. Lots of trouble. But Jesus said, take heart. For I have overcome the world. Jesus has given you, believer, everything you need, not only to get through the journey, but to enjoy it every step of the way. And so enjoy the ride. It's a beautiful ride. Not because of the circumstances or the situations, but because we know the God who promised us is faithful. And just as Paul got to Rome, so we will get to where God is calling us to.